Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Monday. What a traumatic weekend it was in the financial world. The disclosure that two banks had failed, Silicon Valley Bank in California, which was home to many of the tech sectors, burgeoning accounts, and also many woke investors. And then Signature Bank in New York, a bank that catered a lot to cryptocurrencies. This sent shockwaves through the market and also led to criticism that the Biden administration was too slow to react to the warning signs about these banks before the run on their deposits began. A lot going on on that front today. Lots of news. We're going to bring you up to speed on that in just a second. But we're going to start the show today with Monica Crowley, former Assistant Treasury Secretary, longtime thought leader in economic policy. She's going to join us to describe the fallout, the Biden administration's culpability, and so much more, including does the FDIC have the money to cover deposits over $250,000? That's a big question. There's also a legal question. Does the FDIC have the legal authority to protect deposits over $250,000? Right now, the law says only $250,000 and less is covered. That has a lot of people concerned that banking regulators may be overstepping their legal grounds. A couple other things to think about on that front, and we're going to have a great show today. The second half of the show, we're going to focus on security issues. We've got two great guests, former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf is going to join us. And then the former chief of staff to the DNI, Dustin Carmack, he's going to be with us. So we'll talk about the world, Ukraine, Russia, China, Iran, all of the ones, North Korea, all of those that have us concerned. And last week we're flagged by the intelligence community. But the banking story is really the story that has people worried. Are we going to have to start putting money in our pillows and mattresses? Because banks are not going to be reliable. I hope not. And a lot of people hope that won't be the case. President Biden assured us that the banking system is still fine. And I hope that that will be true. I think you do too. Everyone does. But let's take a look at some of the things that are facts. The first is Silicon Valley Bank in California, which had warning signs as far back as last July during its quarterly meeting when Goldman, I think it was Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan raised questions about why it had lost 8% in its portfolio over in a quarter, about 130 plus million dollars of losses. That was a sign that the bank was perhaps in financial trouble, hit hard by the downturn in the economy. And yet it was focused on over the last six months, DEI, diversity initiatives in ESG, environmental social governance issues, and so many other woke-eyed issues. And tomorrow, 
my good colleague Nick Chivas is going to focus on that. But that is a red flag. A bank in financial trouble worried more about ideological initiatives rather than financial solvency. That's what a lot of people are talking about today on that front. Now, secondly, the FDIC made this big commitment over the weekend to cover all deposits, even those over 250000 The Total losses of the bank or the deposits in the bank are well over $300 billion. And yet right now, the FDIC only has on its in its checking account about $130 billion, a big gap. A lot of people asking questions about that as well. So big, busy day ahead of us. We're very lucky to have Monica Crowley, former senior treasury official, to join us and help us understand what went on with the two bank failures over the weekend and the mindset that led some of these banks down a path that has been otherwise difficult to surmise. I mean, some of the ideological efforts that these banks were involved in didn't seem to stress best return on investment, which is what depositors and investors are hoping a bank will focus on. So a lot more fallout from that. And when we come back from the commercial break, Monica Crowley going to get us up to speed right after this commercial message. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with 
with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As we mentioned at the top of the show, a very perilous moment in the American economic system. Three bank failures in less than seven days. A lot of concern about confidence in the banking system. A lot of concern about where the FDIC and the United States government is going to get the money if there are more bank failures ahead. I thought we'd bring in the perfect guest to do this. She is one of the great thought leaders in this country in any subject, but also worked at the Treasury Department where she has lots of knowledge on the economy. Joining me is my good friend, Monica Crowley. Monica, great to have you back on the show. Oh, it's so good to be back, John. Thank you so much. This is a very deep moment, I think, of reflection on the state of our economy, the state of the banking system under the Biden agenda. Tell us how you read the last few four days. What has happened thus far and what should we be looking for? Well, a couple of things. I think first, what's so striking is how fast these kinds of things can happen. They're obviously being baked in over months or over years in terms of mismanagement, in terms of uh, regulators not paying close attention, and these things just being able to build, which should not have been allowed to happen after the financial crisis of 2007-08-09. We built in all of these backstops, regulations, all kinds of fail-safes, and yet here we are again. But to your point about the speed of this, within a couple of days, we have seen three major, pretty major banks fail. So the lightning speed of this thing and how fast the financial sector can go into crisis and then how fast that can then spill over into the broader economy, that lesson should be lost on no one. Okay, that's first. The second thing I want to point out here about all of this is that the regulators apparently were nowhere to be found. Again, this was all stuff that was supposed to have been fixed after the last financial crisis, and yet here we are today. We're also getting more and more evidence, John, about the particulars of the Silicon uh, Silicon Valley Bank issue, which is that the CEO pulled out about $3.6 million in shares day or so before. Many employees of the bank got big bonuses right before the collapse. Uh, Janet Yellen was in Ukraine last week when this situation was becoming very acute. Okay, so you have all of these players and the regulators. I mean, Moody's Analytics, a couple of days before this collapse, was still giving the bank an A rating. So, again, where are the watchdogs? Where are the watchdogs doing what they're supposed to do. In in fact, the risk assessment person at this bank was deeply involved in DEI and woke politics rather than doing her actual job of risk assessment. So now we have this contagion that has spread to a couple of banks. I'm hoping that it doesn't expand beyond this, that the bigger banks are in better shape. But this is a very precarious moment for the financial sector and also hopefully not but uh, it looks like it could spread into the broader economy like it did last time. I hope that's not the case, but it's possible. 
Yeah, that is the real concern here. Let me take on two things that get thrown about quickly by both sides, and I want to truth check both of them. The first is, and we've done a lot of reporting on this, so we feel pretty confident, this bank was a bank that was heavily into woke policies of ESG. And there is a question, was this a bank that was more focused on ideology than on the core business? And I want to ask you that. And then separately, Democrats have this line that, oh, the Trump banking reforms are the reason this bank failed. Could you handicap both of those for us? Sure. Yeah. Um, the On the deregulation part, that is not part of this equation whatsoever from the Trump years. Um, if that were the case, you'd see more, far more widespread problems in the banking sector. And again, we hope this doesn't spread. But the Trump deregulation aspects on the financial sector ha- came into play not at all in this situation. On the DEI and ESG part of this, It is 100% true that we are seeing industries, companies across the board that change their focus to a social justice platform more than their actual core business. And there are deleterious effects on that core business that reverberate all the way down to the customer, but certainly through the board, shareholders, et cetera, all the way down because they're not focused on their core mission. What we do know about the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, John, is that the risk assessment person was focused on, again, DEI stuff. She had just done a full month on LGBTQ Pride Month, focused on that. She was focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs. So, again, one of the things that contributed to the first financial crisis back in 08 was the fact that all of these banks were handing out loans like candy to people who could not service those loans. They couldn't afford mortgage-backed securities, all of this stuff, because they were engaged in uh, this kind of social justice approaches to their business rather than focusing on the bottom line, serving their customers and taking care of their shareholders. And so when you go off on that tangent, bad things are going to happen. And I am particularly outraged, John, that that it looks like even though the administration is saying no bailout, it is going to be a bailout. And you know who in the end is going to cover the cost for this? You and me. The average American who is very careful and responsible for with our money, we're going to be the ones that are going to cover the cost for bailing out venture capitalists and tech people for the most part. And yes, there were other people banking with this bank, small businesses, individuals, and they're all in a world of pain and my heart goes out to them. But you have big companies, crypto companies and others, VCs who are banking with this uh, bank. And now we're going to have to cover the cost for this. I mean, even if the the FDIC comes in and they're going to cover the uninsured depositors, above and beyond the $250,000 that are that is guaranteed under FDIC rules and by the law. Well, if they're going to come in and cover the uninsured and the discrepancy, you know, the the um, uh, anything above $250,000, we're going to be the ones in the end covering it. First of all, we are the government. So it's taxpayer dollars that's going to go into this. And it's all because This bank acted recklessly and not focused on their core business. And the regulators, who also repay their salaries, they weren't paying attention. It is a complete outrage. And the American people are just so sick of working so hard, paying so much in taxes to cover these kinds of reckless behaviors.
The FDIC has traditionally only protected $250,000 and below in accounts. On the fly this weekend, it looks like they just made up law and said, we're going to cover anyone's deposit regardless of size. Is there a legal authority for them to do that? Does that require a change of law by Congress? It does seem like they're making up the regulations as they go in this crisis, which raises the question, if a whole bunch of banks fail, does the FDIC have to cover all of those? Curious if you had any thought about whether the FDI is sort of making law as they go along here. Yeah, and it's it's completely illegal to do that. I mean, they're way out of their purview. If you want to change the law and go above $250,000 as a guarantee, well, then you've got to go to Congress and change that law. Now, maybe they will try to do that. Maybe Congress will go down that road, but I, I don't see that right now. So what they're doing is way beyond their purview and completely, completely outrageous. I mean, you want to talk about a destabilization of the financial sector. If they bump that up to half a million or a million dollars, everybody, oh, that's great. Now, you know, you don't have to worry as much. But then that encourages additional recklessness in the financial sphere, doesn't it? Because there's no consequence to your actions. Yeah. Yes. You're playing fast and loose and you're sending out money like just, you know, candy on Halloween. Well, then that kind of recklessness is going to come back to bite you. But when we when we talk about covering losses like this, again, it's you and me and the average American who in the end is stuck holding the bag. Yeah, that's really the scary part about this. A lot of people that I've talked to today say that these banks got addicted to low interest rates. And now that Joe Biden's had to raise interest rates to bring down the inflation that all of his government spending created, we are now seeing banks fail to adjust to their strategy with high interest rates. Are the rising interest rates that the Biden administration needs to implement to keep inflation down contributing to some of the bank problems today? So I did uh, part of my podcast today on this very issue, and it's an excellent question. It is all of a piece. Okay, so when President Trump left office after, you know, the, the pandemic had hit and we had stood up all of these programs, we had to do a lot of emergency spending because it was an actual emergency related to the pandemic. So he passed off an economy that was growing well into the 6% range to Joe Biden, and he handed off 1.4% inflation to Joe Biden. Biden and the Democrats came in, John, and continued to spend at emergency levels absent the actual emergency. So over the last three years, Biden and the Democrats have pumped down into the system well over $10 trillion. That's with a T, $10 trillion dollars. And an economist at the America First Policy Institute did a quick analysis. The federal government is spending about $200,000 per second. So obviously, over the last year and a half, we've had massive inflation as a result of all of this money sloshing around the system. These banks where they're complaining like, oh, well, we weren't really ready for higher interest rates. That is a nonsensical response to this. They, they had a direct responsibility to know what the Fed was going to do. They talk to the Fed all day, every day. And I know that because, of course, the Fed is independent. But being at Treasury, I know those conversations go on even during normal periods of time. Interest rates 
came in way too late. The Fed came in way too late, beginning to hike interest rates to get a handle on inflation. But it has been going on now for well over a year. You're telling me that these banks didn't know that this was going on? This was the most telegraphed thing in the history of the world. That is a nonsense answer because they are trying to cover their tracks for their own wrongdoing, their own unethical behavior, and it's veering off into DEI and ESG that has crippled their ability to actually serve their customers and protect their core mission. It's remarkable that we got to this point. And when I heard these bank officials, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I learned enough in college to realize that interest rates are the only tool that the Fed has to deal with inflation that's ever worked in our history. That's what the whole 1980s learning lesson. So the idea that banks would claim we didn't know interest rates would go up is almost preposterous to hear. And yet that's what was being uttered over the weekend. It literally drove me nuts. Monica, last quick question. What do you think happens over the next week? What are the warning signs? What are the positive signs we should be monitoring for? Well, I think to watch for the government, you know, the Treasury Department, the FDIC, watch the Fed. I think, look, the Fed is already engaged in some what we call extraordinary measures. Um, they're already trying to backstop um, Silicon Valley Bank. They're also trying to backstop some of these other institutions to prevent a bigger slide. But watch what the Biden administration does. Watch what the Fed does, because they came out over the weekend and even today talking about how this is not going to be a bailout. A bailout is coming. In fact, I think it's already here. And pay attention to how they're languaging this whole thing. They do not want any political fallout, but I'm afraid it's going to be too late because in the end, you know, when the other banks step in and it looks like that that's already beginning to to come in to try to cover these losses, right? You've got some of the bigger banks that are more stable coming in to try to rescue this situation. Well, of course, they're going to pass those ultimate costs on down to their customers. So watch for all of that. Watch for other banks. If, the, if we start to get news about additional banks being rocky or we'll watch out for them, like we had First Republic Bank today, just watch for other banks being involved. I think that the bigger banks like Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, I think those institutions are generally safe. But then again, you don't know, right? It takes one strike of a, a match and boom, the entire sector goes up in flames, like we saw with Lehman Brothers the last go around. So I'm hoping the contagion can be contained here and it's not going to spread. But just watch for how the government, Biden, Yellen, Powell at the Fed, the FDIC, watch how they continue to talk about this over the next couple of days and just hold on to your wallets dearly because it looks like the bailout is here and we're going to be paying for it. Yeah, such an important dynamic. And that contagion can move very quickly in the financial world. Something we're all going to have to watch. Monica, I love your podcast, the Monica Crowley Podcast. Folks, go download it. It's one of the best in the country. I listen to it often. It's such a great honor to have you in the show today as well. Thanks for joining us and making sense of a very traumatic weekend. Well, thank you so much for having me, John. Always a pleasure. It's an honor to have you. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf up to talk about the border, the national security state of our country, and so much more. We'll have that right after the commercial break. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? 
maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. He served in the Trump administration as acting secretary of the Homeland Security Department, and now he's one of the most influential leaders with the America First Policy Institute. He is Secretary Chad Wolf, and we're lucky to have him join again, Mr. Secretary. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me, John. Good to be here. I'd like to start with the ruling. I know this is something you've been saying for a long time. You've been saying these policies aren't lawful, they're not right. Uh, A judge in Florida really laid it out there, said Joe Biden put a come on in, we're open sign on the border and turned the border into a meaningless line in the sand. Your thoughts on that ruling and what what could flow from it? Yeah, well, I think the judge was exactly right. And it's a pretty uh, lengthy order and, and, and a lot there to unpack. But I think the highlights out of it is that basically he said the parole program and, the, and how the Biden administration was using parole was unlawful. And that's important, John, because that's kind of the opening to their catch and release policy that right. they that they have been doing now for two years. It's also at the heart of their border security plan that they announced over the last couple of months. Right. They have four countries. They're paroling the 30,000 people into the country every single month. Again, that did, this court case didn't deal with that, but it, there, there are repercussions. That court case is under uh, that that issue is under litigation as well. So I think what you're seeing here is that the way in which the Biden administration has been using parole as an immigration uh, tactic has been unlawful. We saw this back during the Obama administration, and the way that they used deferred action (DACA) was unlawful, and every court, including the Supreme Court, has said so. And at the heart of DACA was Secretary Mayorkas. And now you have a new or a different immigration authority that is being abused uh, to, a, to a certain degree. And again, you have Secretary Mariorcas at the helm of it. And so what I'm saying now is that over the last two years, there's been so much illegal activity on that border. And a lot of the illegal aliens have been abusing that border and coming over illegally. But now you have the Biden administration that's actually the ones that are, are taking that illegal action and inviting all of these individuals into the country under the parole program, and it's unlawful. They can't do it, uh, but they're going to continue to do it, and that's what they've been doing for the past several months. Yeah, amazing. Well, and sir, you've got an added complication, something that you that you spoke about on Twitter, uh, and you expressed your disappointment that Secretary Mayorkas uh, was speaking at a conference today that includes groups who have said that immigration enforcement is a threat to civil liberties, that it's a deprivation of human rights. If that's true, then border security should not be of concern. And, and heck, let's just throw out all of our homeland security. That would make his job irrelevant. Well, it's an incredible, and the reason I, t- I tweeted on it, it's incredible that you have a, a cabinet level official going to such a conference and interacting with groups and speaking to groups 
who who absolutely hate the mission of the Department of Homeland Security that says it's a threat to civil liberties, a, a deprivation. It's unimaginable that the leader of the Department of Homeland Security, whose job it is to enforce these laws, would go and speak to that group and agree with them. Uh, and so as I think about how that's resonating within the department, you have so many law enforcement agents in the department, many of them who do immigration enforcement are probably sitting back and looking at the, at the secretary going, what are you doing? Why are you talking to these groups who hate our mission, who hate us? Um, it just it makes no sense. And I think it, it tells you the priority that he is putting on satisfying groups to the far left versus actually doing his job and enforcing the law. Yeah, that's a terrible message. And I, you hear from so many uh, CBP officials about how demoralized they are by his leadership. Yeah. Sir, I want to talk about another thing. We had this heinous uh, situation at the border the other day where a family from South Carolina, two were killed, two, were, uh, two others were abducted. The cartels, just a little bit ago, they said they turned over the guys who mistakenly did the abduction and did the killings to the Mexican authorities to give to the United States. But uh, this is a really significant uh, episode. It's woken up a lot of people to just how crazy things are at the border. Yesterday, the White House press secretary said there's no chance Joe Biden is going to ever consider a drug cartel a foreign terrorist organization. Your thought on that declaration? Well, whether we designate them a, a foreign terrorist organization or we authorize uh, a military use of force, I think all options need to be on the table. I don't think the designation goes far enough, frankly. Um, I'm more interested in what a designation would get us. What is it that we need to do? What is the action that we would need to have with the cartels? And does the designation get it? Or do we need something else and we need something more? I think we need to be looking at what can we do from a cyber perspective on these cartels? Financial institutions, what can the Treasury Department do in freezing assets? What do we need to do from an intelligence collection? Do we know enough about them in order to target them? I think all options need to be on the table. They are public enemy number one. Everything, you know, whether we talk about the fentanyl crisis, the human trafficking, we talk about the humanitarian crisis, the national security, it's all coming from the border. And at the heart of all of that are the cartels. And so we need to get serious about this. We need to stop ignoring, and in some cases, admiring the problem for decades. We need to take action, and it needs to start with the president. He needs to outline a plan. What is the plan to deal with these cartel members? And it can't just simply be diplomatic overtures. What is the plan? Uh, and I just don't, I don't see them uh, coming up with one. They haven't been serious about the border in two years. I, I just I don't see them changing course. Mm. Sir, I just want to press in on that for a moment because I, I think that the American people realize that illegal immigrants who come across our border unassisted by cartels, it just doesn't happen very often. So if they do, if, if they were, hypothetically speaking, if they were to designate cartels as terrorist organizations and they shut down the human and drug trafficking that is facilitated by the cartels, how much would that reduce it by? Well, it's a good question. I don't know that you're ever going to shut it down completely. I think there's always going to be an element there of whether it's cartels or other transnational criminal organizations that are going to be involved in that in that trafficking. But it's a it's a good first start. But I think what what CB or sorry, DHS has done over the past couple of months, right, uh, is they started funneling people away from the, you know, between ports of entry. And the, you started seeing more and more people come through ports of entry. And it goes back to the parole issue that I talked about previously, is there's been an 800% increase in the number of illegal aliens coming into the country through ports of entry because they're being paroled into the country. And so those numbers will never show up on illegal apprehension numbers that we see every month. And so the Biden administration 
here recently in the last two months has said the numbers are going down, our strategy is working, when in fact they're just using an unlawful parole program to parole individuals into the country through ports of entry uh, at numbers and records that we've never seen before. So I think they will continue that practice and we'll continue to see more and more of them come through a port of entry uh, unlawfully through this parole program. And that's concerning because again, uh, the demand is still there. You're still releasing hundreds of thousands of folks into the country every single month. And that's not a deterrent. We need to bring some deterrence back to the system. Deterrence is so key. Uh, we got about a minute, a minute left, so I want to ask you about this. You've been crafting a lot of solutions at AFPI. That's one of the great things about yeah. AFPI. They're not just highlighting problems, they're delivering solutions. What are two or three things that Republicans should try to force into the budget negotiations to improve the situation immediately at the border? Well, I think there's a number of things. I think you've got to fully implement MPP. They're, they're under, DHS is under a court order, uh, and they just really haven't fulfilled that remain in Mexico. They should be doing more. Uh, along that route. There's a number of other things they do, a number of policies that need to be rescinded, uh, some enforcement action that needs to be taken. So there's a number of things that you can tie funding to and you can restrict funding uh, so that they don't actually undertake that, right? In the budget proposed today from the Biden administration, they wanna set up a, a multi-billion dollar fund to deal with the migrant crisis on the border. And that's just simply the wrong approach. You don't, this isn't a funding issue at the at the, border. This is a policy issue. And you've got to change policy if you want to see a change in behavior and a change in the crisis. More money is not going to solve the issue. Yeah, such a great point. Uh, Mr. Secretary, it's always an honor to have you on. We were at uh, a conference this past week in CPAC, and a lot of the people said they missed the good old days. And what they meant by that was back when you were in the Homeland Security Department, yeah. Donald Trump was in the White House. They remembered the safe border you gave us. A lot of people long for that. Great to have you on today, sir. Well, thank you for having me. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, the former chief of staff to the director of national intelligence, Dustin Carmack's here. He has a lot of thoughts on the assessment that the U.S. intelligence community gave of the world on year two of the Biden administration. We'll have that right after this commercial message. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. You know, we have been keeping a very close eye on the growing realization across our country that China is a major national security issue for the United States, especially since the U.S. intelligence community has come out with a report calling it and several other countries threats to our nation. So with so much going on internationally, we need somebody like our next guest to help us out. He was the chief of staff to the director of national intelligence, and now he's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Dustin Carmack, it's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Sir, we have seen this uh, annual threat assessment, and it feels like, you know, uh, of these four countries that they listed specifically, uh, 
having this Chinese spy balloon floating across our country, possibly conducting espionage and recon. We don't really know yet, but I think that for a lot of Americans, China's at the top of that list. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, they spent, you know, the first eight pages uh, really uh, rolling this out. I mean, this is something that uh, when I was at ODNI, uh, Director John Ratcliffe at the time really was trying to raise these alarm bells. And, you know, there was a lot of con you know, confusion across the ranks of all the different countries going on and, and different nefarious actors. But when you look at it from top to bottom, technologically, economically, you name it, China is at the front of that list. I mean, in terms of cyber actions, the capabilities to you know impact critical infrastructure in the United States, looking up for ways to conduct information operations. And so finally, it's kind of nice to see this uh, spilled out and hopefully it kind of wakes people up to it. Yeah, and I think that, that awakening started when we saw that uh, spy balloon go across our country. No one was willing to take it down until it got to the Atlantic and people were like, well, what's China doing in our skies? Wait a second. And I think it's growing I want to ask you about a sentiment that I've been picking up among a lot of intelligence and security experts that maybe under the Biden administration, we're releasing too much sensitive information. I mean, all into the lead up into Russia, Joe Biden tried to leak Russia out of uh, invading Ukraine. That didn't work, but we gave up a lot of intelligence. There was talk recently that the um, Biden administration wanted to leak out everything it knew about China's plans for Taiwan, thinking that maybe China, that would stop them from doing it. Is leaking intelligence to get an enemy or adversary to stop doing something a good thing? And are we getting a little too loose lips on some of our important secrets? Yeah, I don't particularly like, I, I think it's a, I like when a leader comes out and points out, you know, intelligence or things that they believe to be the case and point to, you know, the intelligence that's happening. When you see it kind of run through unnamed source uh, says X. Uh, I think it always just makes it difficult to kind of really piece together. And it's kind of an, an old inside uh, the Beltway game. Uh, I think the American people just want, you know, kind of honest facts. I mean, I will say this. I mean, open source intelligence. I mean, one of the big things that is helping them to an extent is that technologies like Maxar, uh, open source satellite technology is watching this stuff happen live. And so this is really kind of showing to the power of the private sector kind of this open source intelligence network is really kind of, at, uh, you know, a helping hand to kind of defer from, you know, blowing a, a you know, technical source. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Dustin, I want to I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, we've heard from numerous sources that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy plans to meet with Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen uh, in the next few weeks, considering Considering this threat assessment regarding China and China's sensitivity to threats against them, is this a bad or a good decision to, to take this meeting? I think it's a great decision. I, you know, the Speaker of the House is, you know, the most important person of that, that chamber. That, you know, again, this is a, this is a you know, situation that we're going to be dealing with for years to come. Um, you know, I applaud it when Speaker Pelosi went to Taiwan. I get the, you know, the Chinese are always going to take consternation to this. I think in this case, you know, the Speaker meeting with, you know, Taiwan and California uh, is a great opening salvo to kind of say, what is it that you need to protect yourself? What is it that you need from the United States to help deter this from happening? And so this doesn't have to be the case where we see this provocation come to fruition. Yeah, there's nothing like a bipartisan show of support for Taiwan, which has happened over the last 12 months uh, from two consecutive speakers to send a good message to China. Dustin, I want to ask about the state of the Russian-Ukraine war. Uh, there are uh, intelligence uh, reports and, and even you know on-site on battlefield reports that Ukraine may lose a stronghold that it's been trying to hold on to. 
uh, President Zelensky said, if we lose that, we kind of lose a whole portion of our country. Is the war at a very critical moment? And what should the United States be doing? And what should we interpret if Russia makes a gain on this one city that uh, Ukraine's been trying to hold on to? Well, there's been kind of conflicting between what the Ukrainians value, Bakhmut, and of course it has been just brutal warfare. I mean, I'm talking World War I trench-style warfare, massive amounts of loss of life on both sides, kind of conflicting information coming out. But, you know, from a from an actual strategic standpoint, there's been a question, is, is this really kind of a an in-between game of also trying to bleed out resources uh, from the Wagner Group and some of these uh, call-ups of essentially private you know prisoners from Russia that they're pulling out of jails uh, with you know, six-month death sentences? Um, but at the same time, it has massive you know, ramifications for the Ukrainian forces because they need to be preparing uh, for some kind of a counteroffensive. And then that, you know, I'm sure those conversations are happening about where all this Western military equipment's coming in. Where do you train the, that fire now? And so it, it cuts both ways. And I think the spring is going to be incredibly important for the Ukrainians to show that they can either regain and capture some territory and prevent the Russians uh, from grounding in defenses. Yeah, good point. Sir, there's so much activity happening on Capitol Hill with Republicans in the majority. It seems like every day we're talking about a half dozen different hearings that are taking place. But yesterday, the first hearing on the Afghanistan exit, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I know that Congressman Scott Perry, for one, has talked about what a disaster it was. Um, who do you think needs to be held account- accountable with respect to this? President Biden and his national security team. I mean, the, you know, they, they kind of want to defer and deflect uh, to the previous administration's actions. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that made the calls on on a lot of these balls and strikes. And you don't get to kind of point at the other guy uh, when you had the opportunity to to possibly change some of these. And so, you know, they, they kind of try to throw the intelligence community under the bus. Uh, but I can tell you from my time there, you know, right beforehand that, uh, you know, these assessments were essentially saying the same thing. Like if you saw this kind of dry up of resources and to be able to supply security to contractors to keep equipment going and, you know, in terms of what the Afghan forces were willing to, to be able to do, it was going to take some Western support to an extent. And, and when you look at the you know, deferral of Bagram Air, Air Base, it's just, you know, this was a travesty that didn't need to happen the way it happened. Dustin Carmack, I think this is our first time having you on the show. We're definitely going to have to make it happen uh, again very soon. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right, folks, keep a close eye on justinnews.com. So grateful for our guests today, Monica Crowley, Chad Wolf, and Dustin Carmack. Three great guests cover the world and the economy pretty thoroughly on a tumultuous day in America. What I wanted to say is keep an eye, though, on Just the News. We're going to have breaking news on the financial crisis, on the investigations, a lot of big news coming out of a lot of different places. We've got you covered 24-7. And I just want to mention three things to you that I think are important. If you want to help us grow our reporting, our investigative reporting, and have as many reporters as we have whistleblowers coming in. By the way, we have a large number of whistleblowers approaching Just the News. Go and join the VIP subscriber club. All you got to do is go to justthenews.com slash subscribe. You get an ad-free experience for your $4.99, $4.99 subscription. 
or your $44.99 annual subscription, ad-free experience on all the website and phone apps that we have. And you get a chance once a month to hang out with me at a town hall where I answer your questions for an hour and 90 minutes. And so those are the benefits of VIP Subscriber Club. And if you join, all that money goes into hiring more reporters, something that we're committed to doing. All right, one other thing I wanted to mention to you, your liver has been taking care of you for years. It's important that you take care of it. There are so many signs that a fatty liver, which is growing in numbers, I think 100 million Americans suffer from fatty liver now, that it can lead to serious heart and other medical complications that make the senior years, the golden years of your life, potentially more risky, more dangerous, more uncomfortable. So what do you do? I prefer to take the all-natural supplement called Liver Health Formula. It works great. It reignites your metabolism. It burns fat. It boosts your energy. I've lost some weight. And you also are beginning to take care of that liver, which has been taking care of you so that it doesn't get to a fatty liver state. When you check out the liver products at Liver Health Formula at checkyourliver.com slash just news. That's easy to remember, right? Checkyourliver.com slash just news. You're going to get a free sample plus a presentation on four warning signs that you have a damaged or fatty liver. There's no reason not to get up to speed, at least understand the risk you're taking if you're not taking care of your liver. And of course, if you take the liver health formula, you get on a great path towards healthier living, healthier liver, better metabolism, burning fat, boosting energy, losing weight. Those are three things worth doing. And all you got to do to get started on that journey, checkyourliver.com slash just news. Checkyourliver.com slash just news. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Always grateful when you listen. Always grateful to all the great folks who are part of the Just the News family. You subscribe, you listen, you click on ads, you support our sponsors, advertisers, and partners. I can't say thank you enough. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now.